Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to come together, to worship you, to encourage each other, and to be open to your Holy Spirit, speaking to our hearts, our minds, and our souls. Gracious Father, help us. Help us to hear from you what you want us to hear. Lord, remind us that we are loved by you, but not just us, that you love all people. And that you are calling us to be your missionaries of love and grace in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you have the privilege of reading stories, of listening to stories, of people who have been affected by Jesus, you see that that Jesus has truly affected who they are and their lives. One of the most well-known stories, a story that you've come across in your Christian journey most likely. And it's the story of Paul. Paul had a particular focus in his life before he had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And that encounter changed his worldview for good. It changed it not just for eternity, but it also gave him a better worldview. A worldview which had been affected by Christ. And that's because he spent time relating, relating and listening to Jesus. That he took the time to to respond to Jesus. Now, initially, he wasn't open to who Jesus was. Initially, he, he rejected who Jesus was. But because of that encounter on the road to Damascus, his life and his worldview and his outlook on people dramatically changed. It changed from one of being law-focused, being heavenly you must, to being let's get rid of anyone who doesn't abide by the law, who, who, let's get rid of anyone who has any faith in Jesus, to one being grace-focused. And we see this in his writings and the epistles, that he has this constant focus on God's grace being the most important thing for all people. And so it's no wonder that he writes to the church in Rome to encourage them, to encourage them to listen to Jesus. And this is what he says. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Now, this is a message not just for the church in Rome. This is a message for us too. We live in a world with many perspectives, many points of view, many opinions, and some of them are not consistent with Jesus, and some of them are. And what happens is when we pick up things that are not consistent with Jesus, we have expectations, We have expectations, and sometimes our expectations are good. As Christians, we have expectations. We have hope. We have hope that life will get better, that in eternity that we will have a life without sin. The New Testament continues to encourage us to think that way. As Christians, we have hope that it's not about what, that we don't have to work hard to earn our relationship with God but that God has done that for us. And so we can trust and rely on the actions of Jesus on the cross and through the empty tomb. But I'm pretty sure if you're like me, you'll also have expectations of God and of other people that are not always healthy and don't always come to fruition. 
Many years ago, in one of my first parishes, before I was a pastor, but in training, I met a bloke and he says, I'm disappointed with God, the pastor, and the congregation. Huh. And I said, why? And I'm expecting to hear, to hear from him, some, him revealing the, some big sin that the congregation was encouraging. And his comment was this. He said, the congregation's not doing what I want them to do. They're not following the old traditional liturgy. They're not saying the Lord's Prayer in the old-fashioned English. And they let me down and God hasn't forced them to do so. You see, his expectations were very self-focused. His expectations were focused on what he wanted. And so it's no wonder that people like William Shakespeare once wrote, expectations are the root of all heartache. I don't know if you've ever done this, bought something online, waiting for it to come, expecting it, it's going to be something fantastic. And it arrives and you're a bit deflated. During January, I decided I needed some new shorts, sport shorts. And because of my size, I have to get extra, 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 extra large. So I ordered them online at eBay. I made one little mistake. I didn't really read all the fine print. And the frying print said this. These are 4XL shorts, but not 4XL Australian, European or American. 4XL Chinese. So they're a little bit tighter than I... And I was a bit deflated about that. You see, our expectations can let us down, can lead us to deflation. Brandon Sanderson, who wrote a book, The Two Kings, said this. Expectations were like fine pottery. The harder you held them, the more likely they were to crack. Another view of expectations is sometimes out of our expectations, we create idols of things. We expect things to happen a particular way, in a particular fashion, the way we like. But the reality is expectations are not the problem. The problem is who or what shapes our expectations. Sometimes it's our own desire. Sometimes it's our own dreaming of how things should be. Sometimes we would like the church to be perfect. You know, as a pastor, sometimes I wish God would just get rid of all sin and all sinners from the church. And then I wake up and realise that means that no one would be here. And so something I encourage you to reflect on, to think about, not just today but regularly, Are my expectations of life and God consistent with what Jesus says? Or am I allowing other views from the world to come in? Am I placing other views of what should happen? In our Gospel reading from Luke chapter 4, verses 21, it's a Gospel reading which is really only half the reading. The other half was the previous week and we'll, we'll come back to that fir- part of that first half in a few moments. What we see is Jesus speaking to people who thought they knew what God was on about, who thought they had a good understanding of God and had a reasonable relationship with God. But Jesus reveals to them a bigger, broader and even different mission to what they expected. You see, at the time, many of the Israelites had views like this. God was only their God. God was their God, and everybody else God was against. God was going to annihilate and get rid of. And this led to some 
bit of warped expectations and thinking. They thought when the Messiah comes, the Roman leaders, the other oppressors and Gentiles would be removed, at least removed from having power, but hoping, probably deep down, removed from the area. Let's just cleanse the area. That's what they thought the Messiah would do. And the other thing they thought was the Messiah would look after their earthly well-being as they demanded it. And this is a trap still today for many of us. I don't know about you, but there's times when I pray to God about stuff and I get disappointed with God because he's not doing what I tell him to do. He's not answering my prayers in the way I think he should be doing them. Well, many of the Israelites had that approach and we'll see the danger of that as we go a bit further. And that God would punish and remove the unholy. That was Paul's view, that part of his zealousness about his relationship with God before he met Jesus was let's remove all the unholy, let's punish all those unholy. Well, think about the consequences of that if that was applied to you. So another question for us to think about is do you have any similar views of expectations of God? Do you ever think that God is on our side and he's against other people? Other people from other Christian groups, other churches, other denominations, or even people who are not Christian, that God wants to get rid of from the earth? Do you ever think that God should be answering your prayers, looking after you first, in my first parish, at once early in the first parish, I had a, a small group of people from a, another town some distance from where that parish had congregations come to me and said, can you serve us? We are Lutheran. Um, and I, we tried to discuss probably setting up a, a, at least a preaching place. But one of the problems was is that a couple of leaders of the parish said, oh, we've got to get our own house in order before we start looking after others. And we, can, we worked out a way to provide ministry to those few people, but we never got a preaching place established, which was a bit disappointing. Or do you have thoughts that, let's, God, just get rid of all those who are doing the sins we don't like, acting like we don't like? Well, to understand this text a bit further... Let's just go back a few verses and listen to what Jesus actually said to this crowd, this group of people who had met in the synagogue. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Sounds good. Sounds great. And in fact... He's, because of this message, he was initially well received. They loved what they heard. But their problem was they only applied it to themselves. They saw themselves as the oppressed. They saw themselves as the people who God had come to give good news. And that's true, but their problem was they only saw it as them. They were the ones that needed this good news, which is true, but it wasn't for anyone else. They wanted to hold it tightly. 
And so Jesus then continues the discussion with them. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. And this is a little hint that Luke is sharing with us that they haven't got it. They are focused on Jesus as an earthly prophet, not as God's son. But then Jesus begins to lead them into God's bigger reality, God's bigger picture of why the Messiah comes. He shares with them two points out of today's reading. He shares with them, first, he's not focused on meeting their every personal expectations or desires, or even living up to precedence. One of the big dangers for the Western church is to follow this concept that exists, that we must do this because we did it previously, or we must do this because we've done it for this person over here. That's not how Jesus approached his ministry. Jesus approached his ministry to bring his love and grace in the way that people needed. And you get an insight from John where near the end of John you hear that Jesus does his signs and wonders in the world so people would have faith. You see, what this group of people were struggling with is they had heard about Jesus doing some good stuff and saying some good things in another place in Capernaum. And they now wanted all that for themselves. They'd probably heard about Jesus turning water into wine. Christian, wouldn't you like to invite Jesus to your party? (laughs) Right? And And the wine he talks about is the best wine. So there's a bottle of wine in Australia that gets sold. 1951, I think it is, wine. Penfold's Grand Hermitage, $161,000 a bottle. Jesus had some, over 500 bottles of that quality wine. Wouldn't you want that? And this is this group of people. That's what they're wanting. They're wanting the healing that they've heard. They're wanting the good news for themselves. But that's not the way Jesus is operating. They're wanting Jesus to give them special privileges. And he's revealing today in this gospel ring, he's not focused on meeting their every personal expectations or desires. He does listen to our prayers. He does care for us and help us with our earthly needs, but not everything that we want. He's not focused on living up to precedence or giving them special privileges. And the second thing he reveals is this, the Messiah and God's words are not just for them. They are for all people. His mission of good news has always included all people, Jew and Gentile. And here's the other struggle. There, even today, there are some Christians who think that the God of the Old Testament was just focused on the Jews and it's only in the New Testament that we get to see that he's got a mission to the Gentile. But if we actually go and read the Old Testament, we discover that's not the case, that God has always had this focus on all people. Let's listen to what Jesus said in the next part of the discussion. From Luke chapter 4, verses 23 to 27. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. And if you know the story of Jesus throughout his life, you hear something similar when he's on the cross. If you are really the saviour, save yourself. And you'll tell me, do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. 
Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. That widow was a Gentile. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elijah the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Naaman was a Gentile. You see, God, through Jesus, makes it clear that his mission is for all people. But they didn't like what they heard. They didn't like what they heard because they wanted to have enemies. That's part of human nature that we want to see enemies for some reason. A number of years ago, a person left a congregation where I was pastoring and it was very heartening and disheartening and sad for me. It's something I always struggle with was when people disengage from the church and disengage and to trying to find out why and what's going on. So I went and spoke to them. And part of their issue was, is you're preaching too much grace. You need to have more law. And you also need to speak against those people that God's against. In reality, as we talked, what you saw is they were used to a, a way of religion which was against people and about creating enemies rather than being inclusive based on Jesus. Now the truth is, as a human, I'm not going to like everybody or like what everyone does. And often my approach in that is to avoid those people. But when I engage with Jesus, when I look at what, how Jesus approaches life, he's about continuing to engage with people. One of the books that I have which is a small commentary of Luke, is called The Hospitality of God. And it's based around this premise that as you go through the book of Luke, and I'd encourage you all to read the book of Luke this year, because it's our main gospel, to read through the book of Luke and, and have a look at how often Jesus sits and eats with people and notice how different they all are. That he doesn't give up, even though on the enemies that he encounters, he still wants to share good news with them. But these people were disheartened. These people had their hearts and minds closed. So they turned against Jesus instead of being informed and shaped by Jesus. And this is a message also for us, is at times we can have such fixed minds that things should operate this way. We too can be so strict in our own minds of how God should be operating that we could have our hearts and minds closed. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but it happens to me quite regularly. It's when I open the scriptures and part of my thinking is confronted by Jesus as I engage with the scriptures. And it used to frustrate me a little until one lady who was in my first parish said to me, and she used to be a pastoral assistant in another church and moved to the Lutheran church and said, oh, I'm 80 and that still happened to me. And I love it. It reminds me that God has a bigger picture, a more gracious picture than I have. 
The story continues with Jesus and the people and listen to what they do. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. The good news is the story of Jesus didn't stop because some people weren't prepared to listen. If you continue reading, and you don't have to go too far, you see that Jesus continues to share this good news, continues to go to places, and people with open hearts and open minds receive it. That people continue to hear that that they are loved by God. Fortunately, Jesus continues with his mission. He doesn't give up and he's not stopped by people. But not only that, he then goes and includes us in his mission. His mission of sharing with everyone in the world the good news of Jesus. In our congregation, we have a wide range of people from different ethnic backgrounds. And one of those groups that we have is some Mongolians. We have Murun. We have another couple. And we've had another, a few other couples, families from Mongolia. Well, the story of Mongolia is that if you go back probably about 30 years ago, there was a very small number of Christians in Mongolia that they could identify. But people around the world went to Mongolia, particularly when it started to open up, and have shared the good news. And now you have churches in Mongolia, you have Lutheran churches, you have Presbyterian churches, you have other churches who are letting people know that they are loved by God, not because they've done everything right, but because God loves them through the life, death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's because people have heard this good news and not just kept it to themselves, but followed Jesus' instruction to go and share it to all nations. Because this is what Jesus says at the end of Luke. Jesus told them this. This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And if you continue reading Luke's other writing, which is the book of Acts, you see that it's, they continue at Jerusalem, but they continue to go out into all the world. And you are witnesses of these things. So my encouragement for you today is keep remembering that God, God loves all people, including you, but not just you. So what does this mean for us as we live our faith? First of all, let's live being shaped by God and not expecting God to be shaped by our expectations. Let's be opening to engaging with God's word, especially with Jesus, and allowing us to be shaped over time. And that's going to take time. That's why we keep encouraging you to keep meeting with Jesus. Keep meeting with Jesus in through worship regularly. That's why at the end of the service we have this question, what has God been saying to you today? It's to help you and remind you to reflect on What has God, what has Jesus been saying to you today? Keep meeting with Jesus in Bible studies and devotions and keep listening to him with an open mind and an open heart. It's good to be confronted by Jesus. It's good to be uncomfortable at times because often that 
confrontation is about dealing with our perspective from a legalistic perspective and not a grace perspective. And then as part of a people of faith, let's live sharing that the good news of God, his forgiveness and love is for all people. Now that's easy to say, but I encourage you to think about your life. Think about everybody in your life. And remember that God's love and forgiveness is for all people. Not all people will accept that. But think about the implications of what that means. That God has placed you in these people's lives to help them know your love and forgiveness. And you may have strange discussions. One of the things about being a pastor, it's both a blessing and a curse when you live in the world. Because occasionally what happens is that you get into situations where somebody will ask, who doesn't know you, what do you do? And every time that happens, I go, what does God want me to say here? And I remember one interaction I had with a bloke. He says, I said, what do you do? And he goes, why would you want to do that job for? What you got to do, you got to be like a a sheepdog. You got to pull everybody into line. Tell them how bad they are. Tell them what they're doing wrong for God. And as he was speaking, you could hear all this legal stuff. And I'm going, he's got the wrong perspective of God. How am I going to respond to that in a gracious way? And so a lot of my discussion was about pointing him to Jesus. And at one stage he said, are you real? Are you sure that's how God thinks? That he loves me? Even though I curse and I don't do all these things right? That he still loves me? Now, that may not be your experience. But I'm sure there are people in your life that have this perspective of God, that it's all about the rules, that it's about God trying to make you a good little boy or girl. And they haven't heard the gospel. They haven't heard the grace. So I want to leave you with this encouragement, the encouragement that you are loved by God. And so why not help someone here and meet the real Jesus you know? Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit continues to remind us of the love you have for us. Lord, continue to be with us as we live in this world. Continue to help us to be open to what Jesus says to us. And may your grace saturate our lives so that as we react to situations, particularly difficult situations, people may know your grace and your love and your mercy. Lord, we thank you that you have this love for all people so we can be confident that we can know that Jesus died and rose for us so our sins can be forgiven. But may we not just stop there. May we take this love and share it freely with the world. In your name. Amen.